concerning Bible prophecy especially, uh, we've got to look very closely at these chapters because it determines the, the whole picture, the whole outcome of the future. The chapters deal with the nation of Israel. And chapter 9 and verse 1, we're going to read that. The scripture tells us there about the way that Paul felt about Israel. Look at verse 1. It says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God, blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they called children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob hath I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall I say, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, What hast thou made me thus? Or why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath filled to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles as he saith also in Hosea I will call them my people which were not my people and her beloved which was not beloved and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth or the Lord of hosts, 
Another term you've heard, this means the same thing. Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed. We had been as Sodom and, and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness hath attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, God, and we ask you just to give us understanding, Lord Jesus. God, I ask you to speak to our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege today to study the scripture that you have given us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you would, over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read a verse of scripture to you there. This is in verse 32. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. <clears throat> the scripture tells us there, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. What we see there is that God is giving three distinctions. First of all, he, he says there's the Jews, he says there is the Gentiles, and there is the church of God. Now that is so, I can't, when you read that, you may not grasp the importance of it. But that one verse right there is one of the most important verses that you can read in your Bible concerning the last days and prophecy. Amen? Because if you don't understand that God has three distinct groups that he is working in and with, then you will misunderstand prophecy and the way that it is applied. So the scripture tells us, first of all, that there's the Jewish nation, and that's one group of people. Then you have the, the Gentiles, and that's all the rest of the nations of the world. If you were not a Jew or of the seed of Abraham, physically a Jew, Israelite, then you are called a Gentile. That means you are a, another nationality in the world. Then the third group of people that is in the earth is the church of the living God. Amen. The church of the living God is made up of Jews and Gentiles that have been born again and are in the church. Do you follow me so far? Okay, so the church is made up of these two, two groups, Jews and Gentiles so far as national or race is concerned. But anybody who is outside of the church of the living God is either a Jew or they're a Gentile. Do you understand that? Okay. So when I go to the book of Romans and in the ninth chapter, uh, Paul is going to be talking about the nation of Israel and how they fit into the church age, this present church age right now. When Jesus Christ came into the world, the nation of Israel rejected him. They missed him as a whole. Now, Paul is a Jew, Peter's a Jew, John's a Jew, the apostles, Israelites, they're Jewish people from the nation of Israel. Jesus Christ was a Jew uh, so far as his nationality is concerned. 
But his own race of people, according to the flesh, missed him and rejected him for the most part. But there were some men like Paul and Peter and those apostles and many of them that were converted on the day of Pentecost that were believing Israelites that believed that Jesus was the Messiah and they became born again believers and entered into what is called the church of the living God. But many of them did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They just believed that he was basically an imposter. Now let's look at this. Romans 9, Paul says this, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now Paul is, look at this, the 8th chapter we talked about, Paul wrote there, he said, Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And he named persecution and tribulation and on and on and with the height and the depth and all of this, time, space, everything. He said, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. So he's pretty victorious in the 8th chapter. He's talking about the love of God and the power of God and the victory of God. For the church. But now he comes over here in the ninth chapter and it seems like he just does a double speak. He does a double talk. Because in one side of his mouth he's saying, man, we've got power and victory in the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing can separate us from his love. And then he comes over here in the ninth chapter and he says, I, I could wish that I could be separated from Christ. One hand he says, I can't be separated from Christ. And in the next chapter, the ninth chapter, he says, I would that I could be separated from Christ. Amen. Now, what, what's happening in the apostle's life here? What's going on in his heart when he says one minute he's walking in victory and power and he's just so full of joy. And then he turns around in the ninth chapter and he says, I'm just so full of pain. This pain is so heavy, it is continual pain. It never leaves me. It, it is a pain that I ache with day and night, every day that I live. Is what he says. He said, I have great heaviness. I, have, I am depressed at times. I am discouraged. I am heavy all the time. And he says not only that, that it is a continual sorrow in his heart. A pain that never, never left Paul. Never leaving pain. What would cause that kind of pain in Paul's life when he had just declared the victory and the, the, the wonderful things of God that nothing could separate him from uh, the love of God? And then on the other hand, say, I'm full of pain every day, continually. An aching pain. And he gives us the reason here in verse 3. Look, and this pain and this emotion was so deep in the Apostle Paul that he said, I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Because Israel, his people as a race had rejected Jesus Christ and because they had rejected the Lord he looks at his nation his nation his people and he's so full of pain because he realizes that these people as a nation are lost without God and his desire is that that nation could be saved and listen he goes so far in that desire that he says I'm willing to be a curse from Christ 
I'm willing to be rejected by Christ and I'm willing to be lost if that means that a nation of people could be saved. I'm willing as one individual to die separate from Christ if that, meant, if that means that many people would be saved. Now you think about that. In the Jewish mind, when it says, he says here, I wish, uh, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ. In the Jewish mind, they would think about a curse. And remember the Old Testament when, when God talked about curses in the law? He said the people of God would be blessed going in, coming in and going out. He said they would be the head and not the tail. They would be above and not beneath. And that was the blessings of God upon their life. But then he talked about in the law in Deuteronomy, he's in, in the 28th chapter, they talk about being cursed by God. Cursed going in, cursed going out, beneath and not above. Basically what he's saying in the Jewish mind is that Paul says that I would be willing to be a curse by God. Every day of my life, I would have a curse on my life. When I go to bed at night, I'm cursed. Everything that I do in life has a curse on it. Nothing ever goes right for me. Everything is always wrong. It's just a one problem after another, one curse after another that has come upon me by the Word of God. That's what he says. Can you imagine living a life? We, when we hear the heart of this man, living a life that there is absolutely nothing that is going to go right for you. A life that only has the curse and the wrath and the judgment of God on it. Morning and night when you go to sleep, God's cursed your sleep. You can't sleep because you've got a curse on it. When you wake up the next morning, you wake up and your day's cursed before you ever get started. You are just one cursed individual. Nothing good can happen to you in your life. Only absolute misery and cursing from God. And that's where Paul is here. He said, if it could mean that Israel would be saved as a nation, I would be willing to live the rest of my life being accursed by God. Living in a miserable condition. In the church's mind, we can go on be beyond that even. Because we can understand what Paul is saying in the church's mind would be according to 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. The Bible, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 5, 5. <clears throat> he says, look at this. There were some things going on in the Corinthian church. There was immorality in that church. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. The Bible says that they, this is Paul's commandment to them. He said, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So in Paul's mind, he's not just thinking about being cursed by God, but he's thinking about being uh, set aside by God so completely and so totally that Satan is allowed to attack that individual and inflict in that individual bodily pain, even death, so that his spirit would be saved in the day of Christ. So Paul is seeing himself pictured as a man who is, oh, has no fellowship with the church of the living God. A man who not only does not have any fellowship with the church of the living God, but who has no fellowship with God himself. And therefore, Satan is allowed to come and torment his body, afflict him with physical pain continually. Satan is attacking this man's life. 
So in Paul's thinking, when he said, I could wish myself to be a curse from Christ, he's talking about literally being disfellowshipped from the very presence of God and the devil allowed to come against him continually and, and afflict him with physical pain. And Paul said that's what he wanted this to happen to this particular individual because he was living in, in immorality, unrepented immorality. Are y'all with me today? What kind of life would that be to live where you know that God is out of your life? That he's lifted his hand off of you. You cannot be saved. And the devil has just got free will, free reign to come against you and, and, and hit you any way he wants to. Well, that's what Paul said. He said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren Israel. Amen. He goes on and he, and he, and he tells us this in this chapter. But I want you to understand something even deeper than that. It's deeper than just having your life in this present world cursed. It's, it's different than just as the church of the living God, not having fellowship with the church or having fellowship with God at all and the devil coming against you. This goes even deeper. Paul is saying this, I'm willing to die and be lost eternally. I am willing to go into the lake of fire and to be separated from Christ forever and to burn in everlasting hell and destruction if that would mean that Israel would be saved. Now I want to ask you a question that I, that I believe I know the answer to. But do we have that kind of desire to see people saved that we would be willing to go to hell if they could be saved? That's where Paul was. He was willing to literally perish if that meant that somebody else could be saved. When we first come to God we have this in our mind you know what must I do to be saved that's the key question what do I need to do to be saved this these words right here that Paul is speaking are not words from a, a new convert they are not words from a baby in Christ they are words from a mature grown saint of God an apostle do you follow me because a newborn, a baby in Christ doesn't, they're worried about themselves. They're worried about what must I do to be saved. Only a mature Christian gets to a point in their life that they begin to ask the question, what can I do to save other people? What can I do to reach them before they go into a devil's hell, a crisis eternity? What can I do to save them? Only a mature Christian talks like that. Not a babe. A babe only says, what's in it for me? What must I do to be saved? But this man was consumed with a passion. When he looked at people's lives, he saw them without Christ. Lost and going into a devil's hell. And he said if it would, allow, if it would cause them to be saved, I would be willing to go into hell if they could be saved and they could be reached. What kind of love he had. What kind of passion this man had. What kind of desire he had to see souls brought into the kingdom of God. So much so he would be willing to perish if they could be saved. You don't come across that too often. That kind of heartbeat and that kind of love and that kind of desire was found in his Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ that was living inside of Paul. You remember Jesus Christ went to Calvary. He died on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God. He experienced hell in its strength. 
He felt the fires of hell, literally in the wrath of God on Calvary. If you ever want to know what hell was about, look at the cross. Look at a man who was disfigured so terribly that you couldn't even recognize what he looked like. You couldn't even tell that he was a man. And he did that because he loved us so much. He was willing to die. The perfect son of God was willing to be made sin for us. And experience that terrible death. So that you and I could not and would not live eternally separated from him. He was willing to go the uttermost and pay the greatest price. So that I could be saved. So he had the heartbeat of his Lord on the inside of him. And Paul said, if it means that I could be a curse from Christ. If it means that Israel would be saved. I'm willing to pay that price. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. You know what? When we speak to people and we witness to people and we teach them home Bible studies. Or when I preach, I need to preach like it's the last time I'm ever going to preach. When I come to the house of God, I need to come to the house of God taken. This could be the last time that I come to the house of God. When I visit my friends and my family and I talk to them about God, I, it may be the last time that I ever have a chance to talk to them. They could slip off into a devil's hell overnight. But this is a man who is just controlled by the presence of God Almighty. He loves so deeply souls that he's willing to die in their place and go to hell. Mm. We read about a man in the book of Exodus 32. His name was Moses. <clears throat> Exodus 32 and verse 32. You see, if you or I ever paid a visit to hell, we would never be the same people. We hear about hell. We hear about heaven. <clears throat> but if we ever paid a visit there, we would never be the same. We would do things to reach the lost world, our friends, our families. We would be continually, effortlessly going after them to try to reach them if you've ever paid a visit in hell. And Paul knew what heaven was like and he knew what they were going to miss. He knew how wonderful Christ was. How great he was. How loving he was. And he knew that Israel was going to miss that. They were going to miss heaven. He knew what hell was going to be like. And that drove him. He said, I don't want them people to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. Do you? And that's what drove him with his passion. Exodus 32 and verse 32. He said this. Let me back up with verse 31. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. And then he pauses. That little slash mark right there is a long pause. He said, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive thy, their sin. And he pauses. And he thinks about it. He thinks, well, what if God, what if you don't forgive their sin? Huh. It gets a hold of him. He says in verse, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, pause. And if not, brought me out, I pray, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. 
Now therefore go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, my angels shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron had made. But you see, Moses so much loves those people that he's willing, God, if, if you don't forgive these people, just blot my name out of the book. I don't want to be recorded among the living. I'll just leave me to die and go to hell. You see where this man's drive was? His drive and his heart's passion was that Israel would be saved. He had the same heart that, that Paul did in the book of Romans. The only... I thought about this, and the only thing that I can even uh, liken this to is the way that I feel about my little girl. When I look at her, and to think that she would die and be lost and go into hell without God is something that I cannot even begin to imagine. It is something, I, I don't know that I could reach the place that Paul reached, where he said that I would be willing to be Lost without Christ, if it means the salvation of somebody else. But I can, get, I can get real close to it when I look at my little girl. And if it meant that she could be saved and be with Christ. And for me to exchange my salvation for eternal damnation. That's as close as I think that I could possibly get of ever being willing to lay down my life and go to a devil's hell so that she could be saved. That's the kind of love that I have for my little girl. That's the kind of love that you have for your children. That's the kind of love that your children have for you. That's saying a lot when you get to that point. When you're saying you're willing to be lost if somebody else could be saved. And that's where Paul was. And that's why he said in my heart, every day of my life there is a continual, never-ending pain. Because I look at people who I know that are lost and are going to eternity without God. And if, it, if I could, I would die in their place and be lost if they could be saved. Amen. That's a man that is consumed with a passion to reach souls. Hallelujah. Do we believe today that a Christless people are on their way to hell? Do we really believe that today? Do I really believe that today? If I really believe that today, I believe that I will do much, much more than I'm doing today to reach Him. Amen. Paul says, I'm willing to go the ultimate place. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Because they rejected Jesus. And look at this. He says, this is a, almost unfathomable. He said, when I look at that nation... I see all the benefits that God gave them. I see, first of all, they are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption. They were the first nation, in fact, yes, the first nation that God ever called His Son. The first nation that, that ever was distinguished by God as His very own offspring. As a nation. And then He says... And the glory. They had the glory. They had the visible presence of God Himself. They looked, walked out on the desert floor and they looked up and they saw the Shekinah glory cloud of God. The Shekinah, the presence of God. They saw a visible presence of God. How would you like to walk into church this morning and to see the visible presence of God in a pillar of fire or a cloud and see and know that God is visibly there? You can see Him with your eyes. 
Well, I assure you he's here today, but I can't see him in a visible form. But Israel had the privilege that they could actually see God in visible form called the glory. The Shekinah glory. They had that privilege. Then it says the covenants. They had special privileges from God. Special promises from God. God made covenants with them and agreements with them to bless them in many, many ways. They had these special promises. And the Bible says, the giving of the law. They had the, the highest revelation of knowledge of God's Word than any other people in the world. He came to them and gave them His very Word inscribed on tables of stone. They had the greatest understanding of God, the greatest revelation of His Word at that time that had ever been given to man. They were given that privilege. He continues. And he says another privilege that they had was the service of God. The tabernacle. All those blood offerings, those sacrifices that would allow man to come back into the presence of God. Israel, the nation, was given that service of the tabernacle. They could walk in the very presence of God and have fellowship with Him. God dwelt among them and He met with them in a personal way. And they would bring these sacrifices and they would worship. They had the tabernacle. They had the temple. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says, and the promises. God made them promise after promise after promise. I am the Lord, your healer. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I'm going to, through your seed, through Israel, the Messiah himself is going to be born. Amen. I'm going to give you a kingdom on earth. You're going to be the head and not the tail of that kingdom. He made them promise after promise to this nation. Amen. Oh, I feel the Lord. Then he says, Whose are the fathers? They had Abraham. They had Isaac. They had Jacob. They had Gideon. They had Samson. They had all of these men of valor. Mighty men of valor. And Israel could look back in their ancestry and their history and say, Abraham is our father. Isaac and Jacob. And these men of valor. The fathers, the patriarchs, the beginners of our nation. Look at them. Abraham's got a name that's known throughout the world. The Muslims know about Abraham. The Arabs, all of them. They all know about Abraham. Because Abraham was Ishmael's father. He fathered the Arab country. He's known throughout the world. He's a man renowned. He's known today in the church as the father of the faithful. And they said... Man, when you look at your ancestry, look at the men that you've got in your ancestry. Look at the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Look at them, Matthew, Mark, John. Look at them, Paul. All these men are Israelites according to the flesh. Look at the ancestry that you've got. Hallelujah. Then he says this, and this is the cultivating thing. He says, And of whom as concerning the flesh 
Christ came. He is from your ancestry. He's not Hispanic. He's not Anglo. He's not Japanese. He's not Chinese. He is Jewish in his blood. He's a Jew. He's got all his skin. He looks just like a Jew in his flesh. He came through your ancestry. Amen. And then he says, Who is God blessed forever? Man, that sends chills all the way through my body. Jesus, when he came, was born as a Jewish man and he was God blessed forever. Now, a Jew, when he says he is God blessed forever, a Jew knows what he's talking about. A Jew, when he says he's God blessed forever, he knows that he's talking about the one true God called Jehovah in the Old Testament. And he said, when you looked at Jesus, according to the flesh, he's the seed of David. He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. But he's Jehovah God. Now, it took Paul to, uh, time to under, come to that revelation. On the road to Damascus, he was persecuting the church of the living God. And Jesus said, whom are you persecuting? Amen. And the answer is, the Lord. I am the Lord whom you're persecuting. And the Lord is only one Lord, and that's Jehovah God. And so Paul finally got a revelation that Jesus Christ was not only the Messiah, but He was the Lord God. He was Jehovah. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Yeah. I mean, think about that. If you as Hispanic people could say that Jesus is Hispanic. Amen? And that He's God come in the flesh. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could say that Jesus is an American? Oh, you know, the, whew, He's an American, yeah. We're special people, right? And He's God come in the flesh. That's the cultivating advantage of the Jewish nation. That through them, God came in human form. So they had all these privileges that Paul is right. And that's why it's just grieving him. He's full of pain and anguish. He looks at those people who had one privilege after another privilege and who were still lost. And I got a hold of him. He said, I'm willing to be lost if it meant my nation could be saved. He says this, Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, it wasn't God's fault. Do y'all believe that today? It's not God's fault. It wasn't the word of God's fault that this happened. The Bible says, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. It wasn't word, the word of God's fault. It was Israel's fault. It was their failure, not God's failure, that caused them to be rejectors of Christ. Oh my. Amen. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And some people take that verse and they say that the church of the living God has replaced the nation of Israel. We're going to see as we read on in these next few chapters that that is an absolute lie. The church of the living God have, has not taken the place of Israel. Amen. As people today look at the prophetic word. They see current events taking place in our world. 
They look at the nation of Israel and they say, has absolutely nothing to do with Bible prophecy. You know why they say that? Because they believe that everything's going to finish and be finalized in the church. That God has set the nation of Israel completely aside. They have no part in His dealings any longer. That's serious. Okay? And they use that verse right there. But let's look at it. What He's talking about. Not all, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. That simply means this. What does the word Israel mean? When you talk about Israel, you're talking about a national, physical race of people. Just like the Hispanic race. Or the Anglo. You're talking about a group of people in this world. But then he says, not everybody that's of the nation of Israel is Israel, or of Israel. What does that mean? Hmm. Well, the word Israel means a man who has been conquered by God. A man who has responded to God. A man who, Israel was wrestling with the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. As a prince that has power with God. I have conquered you, Jacob. You are a man conquered by God. So not everybody that is Israel, or of Israel, true Israelites. Not everybody in that nation has been conquered by God. Who have been born again have been saved spiritually. You follow me? Let me bring it down to where we are here today. There is a visible church in this world. It is a professing church. You've got hundreds of millions of people who claim to be Christians. Are you with me today? That is the outward, visible, professing church. Israel as a nation, you had people who are Israelites according to the flesh. But not saved. And in the outward, professing, visible church in the world today, inside of that church is that the invisible bride of Christ. Do you follow me? Not everybody who is in the church is a Christian. You can go to church and you can call yourself a Christian, but just because you're a part of a Christian community doesn't mean you're a Christian. Do you follow me? You can be physically and nationally a Jewish person, but that's all you have. But within that group, of, uh, in that nation of Israel, there are a remnant of believing Jews who know that Jesus is the Messiah and they have been born again. And one of them is Paul. Amen? So not everybody that claims to be in the church of Jesus Christ is the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, oh. oh that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but... It's nonetheless true. The Bible says in verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they called children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. You see, they thought that just because they called themselves Jews or Israelites, that their nationality saved them. Amen? 
that just because they had all of these promises given to them by God, that they're automatically saved. Amen? Paul's going to show us it, it doesn't have anything to do with your fleshly birth. Just because my little girl was born to me and my wife, don't make... Right now she's covered in the blood. She's in covenant right now until she reaches the age of accountability. But when she reaches that age of accountability, she must enter into covenant herself. And at that point, she can look at mom and dad and we can be born again believers. But without her being born again too, she can't say that, well, my parents are saved. So that automatically makes me saved. You got to get it for yourself. When you reach an age where you understand, you got to get it for yourself. You can't look to somebody else and say, well, they're saved and I'm their brother or their sister or their daughter or their son. So I must be saved. Glory to God. I can call myself Pentecostal. That doesn't mean anything. Oh, praise the Lord. But, you know, God's going to... I found out that the Lord can handle things a lot better than I can. Amen. He knows who are His. And I want to be one of them, praise the Lord. And those that are not His will be manifested in the last days. And just because we call ourselves something doesn't make it a fact. I can walk into a chicken coop and, not, and I'm not a chicken. It don't make me a chicken. We can walk into churches and not be the church. Well, we better know we got to walk with God. You know, hear people say, well, you know, that's just your interpretation. Or you go to this kind of church and I'll go to this kind of church. Well, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. What your label is over your church door is do you have the experience in the pew? Do you have the experience in your life? Do you got it? Do you got it? Do you got it? Or do you just claim to have it? Praise the Lord. I can come to church today and say, I'm the church. But am I the church? Hmm. Israel claimed to be God's people because simply they're the race of Israel. Doesn't make any difference. You must be born again. Listen to me. Just because your name might be on a roll in a church and called a church member does not make your name in the Lamb's book of life. They're not one and the same. You can have your name on the roll. Hallelujah. But it doesn't mean you're on His roll. That's what God is saying here. Thank you, Jesus. You know, people who've had parents raised in the, in the truth, a lot of them, I've seen those children, are the wildest of the bunch and they look at mom and daddy daddy's got it mama's got it spiritual pride rises up in their heart and they think they can live like the devil and still be saved mm -mm. you got to get it for yourself praise the Lord the Bible tells us this he continues he said neither because they are the seed of Abraham we're talking about physical seed are they all the children but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are of the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. 
Now, Abraham had a son named Ishmael. And from Ishmael came the Arab race. But is the Arab race today God's people? Are they in covenant with God? Are they the, the seed of promise, the seed of covenant? For the most part, that country, the Arab country, is Muslim. They reject Jesus utterly and totally and completely. So they are not God's people simply because they're the seed of Abraham. They can say, yeah, our father was Abraham, but it doesn't save them. Are y'all with me so far? He said it'd be through Isaac, not through Ishmael. The covenants, the promises. Thank you, Lord. He said this, for this is the word of promise as this, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Hallelujah. Ishmael's not the one that I've promised covenant to. Now listen to me. God doesn't, when he looks at the Arab country, he loves them and wants to save them just like he does Israel. Don't get me wrong. When he looks at American, Hispanic, Anglo, Chinese, Japanese, whatever, he looks at everybody the same way with a desire to save everybody. Do you follow me? But the difference is, one man, one individual, or one nation will be conquered by God, respond to God, and be saved. Okay? Praise the Lord. Hmm. The promise came Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That the Messiah... had conceived by one even by our father Isaac for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of him that calleth amen it had nothing to do with their good or their bad it had to do with God's call and God's election are y'all with me so far so there is a physical seed and there is a spiritual seed hallelujah God made promises to Israel covenant promises agreements between he and them they when they responded to his promise became spiritual Israelites you follow me it's not because they were Israelites in the flesh, but it's because God conquered some of them in that nation and conquered them. And they responded to Him. And that's what made them who they were. Not because of the bad or the good that they had done, but because of their responding to God. Now let me help you here today. Your election by God is not based on the good and the bad that, or, the, or the bad that you've done. That has nothing to do with it. The reason why you and I are children of God is simply this. Is that He made a promise to you and you responded to that promise. And when you responded to that promise, then you allowed God to conquer you. But people in the church of the living God are not all conquered by God. That's what makes the difference. Glory to God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Are y'all with me? Do y'all understand? I'm doing my very best. 
to help you understand. <clears throat> Look at verse 12. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So look, they had a child, they had two children, Jacob and Esau. Praise the Lord. And Jacob is just as ornery as Esau is. Jacob is a manipulator, he's a liar, he's a conniver, he's full of pride. Are y'all with me so far? Esau, he's the, the macho guy. You with me? I mean, he's solid as a rock. He's meaner than me. Amen. But the difference is, is that Esau sold his birthright. Amen. He, that means this. He didn't want, the, the, he couldn't live on a promise. I, he said, I can't live on a promise. I'm going to die. Give me this food and I'll sell you my spiritual birthright. So the spiritual things didn't mean anything to Esau. The Bible calls him a profane individual. That meant this. He hated the things of God. He hated the church of God. He hated the promises of God. He hated the word of God. He hated the people of God. He was a profane individual. And he said, I can't live on a promise, so I'll sell the spiritual and take the temporal. Uh, that's the difference between Esau and Jacob. Jacob's just as mean and ornery as Esau is. But when he has an opportunity to be conquered by God and to respond to the promises of God, Jacob goes after the spiritual. That's the difference. Are you with me today? That's what makes the difference between people is that some say, I can't live on a promise. I can't live by the spiritual ways. And I'm going to go for the now. Amen? But there's some that are just as honorary in the church as those who have rejected the promise. Just as mean. Are you with me today? But what made the difference in their life was they say, yeah, I believe the promises of God and I will respond to Him and I will let Him conquer my life and I will become spiritually minded. Praise the Lord. That's what made the difference. And he said, look at this. He said, it was said unto her, verse 12, the elders shall serve the younger. Esau comes out first. He's the firstborn. That means he's got a right to a double portion of all the inheritance as a firstborn son. He's going to be the priestly son. He's going to lead his family in spiritual things as the firstborn son. He gets twice as much inheritance and he's the spiritual leader of the household because he's the firstborn. He's the elder. But the Lord then says, the elder shall serve the younger. Oh, that's unheard of. Amen. Why does God show us this? Because He shows us that it is not the first birth that is important. It is the second birth that is important. 
Hallelujah. So the firstborn son, Esau, is going to serve the secondborn son, Jacob, because the spiritual man must always dominate and control the flesh. So you can claim Israel as the, uh, Israel as the seed of Abraham according to the flesh. But God says it is the man who is the secondborn man that is more important than uh, your physical birth. God, somebody say praise the Lord. Born once, physically, die twice. You go into a, a physical death and you die separated from God if you're only born once. Born twice, maybe die once, physically, but have spiritual life. Born once, die twice, born twice, die once. And maybe not even that if a God comes and raptures you. So the spirit walk is much more important than your physical walk. And that's what makes the difference between you and somebody else that's out in the world today. Or that's in their church, uh, church world somewhere. That's a part of a system of religion. What makes the difference is, is they claim to be children and you have become children by the new birth. That's what makes the difference. It's not that you or I are any better than them. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do that we have allowed God to conquer us and we've responded to His promises. Praise the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. He said this, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Who God hates. God hated Esau. He you know why he loved Jacob? <laughs> because Jacob's spiritually minded. You know why the Bible says God hates Esau? Because Esau's profane. He hates the things of the Spirit. Amen? Let me show you something. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. When it says that God hated Esau, what does that mean? <clears throat> Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me, okay, and hate not his father, praise the Lord, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. That's some heavy words, isn't it? He said, if you don't hate mother, you don't hate father, you don't hate brother, you don't hate sister. In your own life, you cannot be the disciple of Jesus. Uh-oh. That means I can put my family ahead of my God. I can love my father or my mother or my husband or my wife or my children more than I love my God God said your love for me must exceed your love for your family or you cannot be my disciple amen now does God is God telling me to literally hate my mother is he telling me to hate my sister 
what he's showing you is comparison. And he says, your love for me must be so much greater than your love for your family or you cannot be my disciple. You must love your family less than you love your God or you cannot be my disciple. So when he says, Esau have I hated, but Jacob I love, he's saying, I, I love Esau lesser than I love Jacob. Lord God, I want to tell you something, church. <laughs> it's all going to surface to the top in the end. I guarantee it. Those that are His disciples will move on in God. But those who love other things greater than they love God will soon quickly fall by the wayside. They won't walk in the Spirit. They're going to walk in their flesh. They will not respond to God, nor respond to His Word. Now hang with me. Oh, I'm telling you. Getting ready. God is in the process of, sh of shifting. Sifting and shaking. And I want to be on top. I want to be a part of the Spirit. Now look at it with me. <clears throat> What shall we say then? Is the, their unrighteousness with God? God forbid. When you look at that, you say, God hated Esau. He loved Jacob. There must be something wrong with God. You know, he, he must play favoritism. You know what? Listen to me, church. God don't play favoritism. He don't play favorites. He don't play favorites with me. He's not going to play favorites with you. When I start walking in the flesh... He's just going to deal with me the same way he deals with you. He doesn't play favorites. Hallelujah. And they look at this and say, God, is there unrighteousness with you? I mean, you hate Esau. Well, you can't love unless you hate that which is going to destroy that which you love. You must hate that which... How many of you, you brethren here that have wives? You hate anything that would destroy them, don't you? Those of you who have children, you hate anything that would destroy them. Well, God feels the same way. He hates anything that would destroy what is His. So there's no unrighteousness with God. He's righteous in this. Now let's continue. What shall we? Okay. For He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is right. He's righteous. If, if Israel has been set aside by God temporarily and he turns to the Gentiles and saves us, then he's righteous in what he does. Okay, hang in there. Hang in there. Praise the Lord. So then it is not of him that willeth nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's God, right? Hang in there. Verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he 
hardeneth. Think about that now. God says, I have chosen Pharaoh. This is, this is going to be really something. You've got to hang in here with me. Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now look at this. When God's word goes forth to Pharaoh to let my people go, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord God that I should obey him? You've got to get that. The difference between Pharaoh and God's people is that when the word went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened up and did not respond to the word of the Lord. He resisted God. Man, I'm talking to somebody in this church. Now listen. He did not respond to God's word and then the Bible says that his heart was hardened. Now the scripture says that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That's a serious place to be in. When the word comes forth, I can respond and be conquered by it. Or I can resist the word of God and when I resist the word of God, then what happens? My heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder. So in a sense, God is hardening my heart because when I resist His Word, He allows me to become hardened against Him. And I become more prideful and more bold against God and against His Word and against the things of God. Okay, so there's a hardening that takes place when we reject the Word. Now, listen. Whenever Pharaoh rejected God and rejected His Word and said, Who is the Lord God that I should obey Him? What did God do? God started pouring out His judgments on His Egypt one right after another. So God used that hardness of Pharaoh's heart so that His name would be seen throughout the world to glorify Himself. So Pharaoh says, I'm not going to serve God. And God says, I don't care what you say, you're going to serve me anyway. And even when you fight and you resist and you reject my word, you're still serving me whether you realize it or not. The only problem is, it's going to mean destruction for you, but it's going to allow me to display my power in the earth. You know what God says about His people? He said, His people are those that tremble at His Word. When they hear the Word preached, they tremble at it. They reverence the Word of God. They don't bow up and kick back on it and say, I'm, reject, I'm not taking that. I'm resisting that. You get like that, you're going to get harder than a rock, honey. Amen? And then God says, well, even when you resist my Word, I'm still going to do it my way. God, listen, God knows what He is doing. He knows what He's doing. Hmm. Let me give you a personal testimony. You know what God is helping me with? He's helping me with not getting into things and fighting. You with me? You know what? I've come to this conclusion. If somebody comes into this church and they tear this church limb from limb, and they tear me, rip me apart. I'm going to let them do it. I'm going to let them have at it. 
You know why? Because I've come to the conclusion that God can handle it a lot better than I can. So come on in and fight and resist and rebel and get stubborn. I know you want to. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to say, God, you can take care of it a lot better than this preacher can. And all it's going to do, they can fight, rebel, resist, and tear things apart. But all it's going to do is allow God to display His power and He's going to take care of it. Glory to God. And I've come to a conclusion where I'm going to love and forgive, love and forgive. You can walk up and beat me half to death and I'm going to turn around and love you and shake your hand and forgive you. You can rip this church apart and I'm going to walk up and say, I love you and I forgive you. I've been through things in my ministry where I, I mean, I got into it. I, oh, yeah, you come on, you'll fight. <laughs> you tangle with me. Come on, tangle with me. I'm going to tell you something. God is helping me right now to die. So you go right ahead because you're not fighting against me or you're not fighting the church. You're fighting against God. He can handle it. He can take care of it. Pharaoh, you can resist my word. You can refuse to let my people go. But God said, it's just an opportunity for me to pour out my wrath and my judgment upon you. You can get hard against the word. You can reject my word. But I'm just going to rise up and I'm going to do my work anyway. Praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. I believe that now. God has helped me. Amen. I I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need people to get rebellious against me. I need people to to try to rip their church apart. I need it. You know why? Because God has shown me how to just sit back, be cool, and don't worry about a thing. Just preach my word and leave the response with me. And if they fight my word, they're fighting against God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad. I, t- I talked to a good brother of mine, Brother Dice, the other day. I said, Brother Dice, you know what? It's amazing to me. But God is helping with me, me with something. I told him, I said, Brother Dice, I'm getting to the point where I'm just going to love and forgive, and I'm not going to try to do it myself. I'm going to let God do it. And he said, brother, don't cross them. Don't cross them. Let God handle it. I said, brother, Dice, has taken me however many years I've been in the ministry that long to, to figure that out. Glory to God. And I said, it's so simple and so easy. Why didn't I understand it to begin with? You know, I feel like it's my, I got to do it or it's not going to get done. And when I preach the word of God, if people don't do it, then I got to go make them do it. No wonder I got so many ulcers. (laughs) I don't have ulcers, thank God. I was like, hey, forget it, man. You know, praise the Lord. So you want to fight, go ahead. I'm going to go on with God and I'm going to preach the word of God. And you can fight all you want to. That's what you want to do, fight. Go ahead, go ahead. Rip each other to pieces. I don't, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, if you do it to me, I, go ahead. I don't care. 
I'm going to go to sleep and forget it. God is showing us here a principle that He'll take care of it. Man, amen, amen. He's a big God. He's a big God. Sister Adele called me the other day. She said, I've been reading a book. It's called Unseen Hands. She said, man, it's amazing what God did in that church. Now, y'all need to read that book, Unseen Hands, if you haven't read it. It is awesome. But I'm going to tell you what happened. She's got it right there. Lift it up high, sister. These people went through so much in that church. It is unbelievable that there is even a church there. Amen? And they just sit back and let God take care of it. And God took care of it. Woo! Glory to God. And He saved those which would respond to His Word. That's God taking care of it. And He took care of those who would not. God took care of it. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now, y'all going to have to pray for me because I just, I made that statement and now, uh, you know, testing comes down the road. <laughs> but listen to me. The other day, I walked up to a, young, to a lady, an elder lady, as far as I know, she's spirit-filled. She began to talk to me. Listen to me. She shared three things with me. She said, we're living in a time right now of the wheat and the tares. I said, wait, 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 wait. Stop right there. I said, I preached on that two weeks ago. Then she said, we're also living in a time <clears throat> when they... Uh, when the people are doing that which is right in their own eyes. I said, wait just a minute. I preached on that last Wednesday. And then she said, but God work, uh, causeth all things to work together for the good to them that love Him who are called according to His purse. I said, wait a minute. I preached on that last Sunday. I said, God, you know right where I am. And you're leading me and you're leading this church. And it's the word of the Lord. And you're doing the work. And those that are going to rise up and be saved will be saved. And those who resist and rebel will be allowed to. And I walked away from there and I was so happy. Amen. I mean, when a lady that you hardly ever talk to gives you those three messages that you've preached in succession, it causes you to think, oh God, you got your hand in. You know what you're doing, Lord. Amen. I'm excited, man. The Bible goes on now. Boy, I went a long I went. Verse 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. When the word of God came, he hardened his own heart. Hmm. But then the Bible says God hardened his heart. Well, the way that happens is because when, people, when you resist the word of God, you get hard in your heart. And God allows you to rise up in your boastfulness against Him. He allows that. That's a serious thing to get into. I don't want to get into that, do you? Where I harden my heart against God and then He lets me. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Listen to me, please. That the, the sun on wax, what does, sun, what does the sun do to wax? It melts it and it softens it. The light of God's word will either melt me and soften me or the sun also does something to clay. And what does it do to clay? It hardens it. So the word of God is either softening me and melting me or the word of God is like the sun and it, is, it depends on the material. The word, I'm either getting harder 
or I'm getting more softer. Are y'all with me? Man, 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 man. I'm rejoicing, y'all, this morning because God has done a deep work in me. I mean a deep work in me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. His word is softening me. He's, he's melting me. But the word can also harden you and make you so dry. Depends on who you are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who he resisted, who hath resisted his will? Amen. Praise God. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Listen, the cre creature has no right to question the Creator. Amen. God made us, so we don't have a right to question God or His Word. We can question men, but not His Word. He says this, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, another unto dishonor? So the potter's use of the clay depends on the clay that he's using. Do you understand? When you and I respond to the Word, we allow God to conquer our flesh, then we are being pliable to God. He's making, he's, that's the process. He's the potter and I'm the clay. And he mashes on me sometimes. Hammers on me sometimes. Molds me into what he wants me to be. And then he throws me in a fire, a crucible, a fire. Starts burning the draw, burning me up. And then sometimes after he gets to do through that, he takes me out of the furnace and he puts me on the shelf. And he said, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not, going, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to use you. I'm going to put you on the ship. Amen. You got to get past the green stage. You with me so far? So there's a, I don't have time to get into all that. But there's a process in which God is, is he's making us. But you have to be pliable. You have to allow God to make you. Or you can be like Pharaoh and say, nope. God. Amen. That's what happened to Israel. This is what God is showing. This is what happened to Israel. God gave them promises. They were the clay. He was the potter. They said no to the, to the Lord of glory. And because of that, they, they became vessels of dishonor. Hallelujah. But those who said yes to God, respond to God, and let God conquer them, they became vessels of mercy. Let's go on. Verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. That's where I came in. That's where you came in. Aren't you thankful for that? God is so awesome that he can take the nation of Israel's rejection and their lack of response to him. And turn it around and pour it out on another group of people called the Gentiles. That's you and me. Hallelujah. And the Gentiles say, yes, Lord, I believe, conquer me. And God says, I make you a vessel of honor. Because you're willing to be conquered. And you're willing to respond. 
But I'll take those that I wanted to make vessels of honor and I'll make them vessels of dishonor because they do not believe. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Anyway, let me continue. He says, verse 25, As he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people which are not my people. This is the application to that prophecy. Hosea chapter 1 talks about it. A child is born. It says, call that child not my people. Amen. And another one's born and call that child not mercy. The interpretation of their name. Are y'all with me? You'll have to read it in the first chapter. But here's little not people walking around in Israel. And every time they call the name of the child, they're saying, not my people. That's not my people right there. And then they look at another little child, and that little child's name is not mercy. Not mercy, not my people. You know why? Because God has rejected Israel because they've rejected Him. But then He says, I will call those who were not my people, my people. Are y'all with me now? Okay, let's go. Let's look at it. He said, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Now he's talking about, look at verse 24, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So he's saying, at one time the Gentiles were not my people. They had not the covenant promises of God. Amen? But he said, where it was said they are not my people, it shall be said they are my people. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. The Bible then says, look at verse 27. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number. Now we're dealing with Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a huge nation, a remnant shall be saved. A group, a small group, a remainder, a remnant shall be saved from among all that nation of Israel. God is showing us that He's not through with Israel. That their blindness is what is going to allow the Gentiles to believe God. Amen? But God is not through with Israel and the church hasn't replaced them as a nation. He's going to do His work in the church. He's going to take the church home and then in Jacob's trouble He's going to start dealing with Israel as a nation again and He's going to save that nation. Those that believe. There will be a remnant of Israel, of the Jews that will believe. Amen? A remnant. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because he, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. He's talking about the tribulation period. He's going to do a quick work. Seven years is a quick work. Man, God is going to shake everything that can be shaken in that time period. Specifically called Jacob's trouble. Multitudes of Jewish people are going to believe in Jesus during that time. Amen? And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of hosts had left us a seed. We had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. He's saying, Paul is saying, there's still a remnant in Israel that believe. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They are born again believers. They are Messianic Jews. There's a group of them that believe. There's a group today in the world that believe. They're Jews, but they believe in Jesus. So they're called Messianic Jews. 
And listen to me. The more you see Jews coming into the church, it's the closer to the coming of the Lord. You need to lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Because when you see start seeing an influx of Jewish people believing in the truth, friend, we're in the last days. Because it is in the tribulation period that the majority of the Jews are going to be saved. And I see them all the time testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. Get ready, church. We're fixing to leave. Because God is not through with Israel. He's still dealing with them. And we're going to see that as we go along here. Listen. There is a remnant of Israel that have responded to the word. Have allowed God to conquer them. They have spiritually been born. The second birth is greater than the first birth. You with me? But in the process of their rejection of the truth, there's a group of people called the Gentiles, that was you and me, believe the truth. And the majority of the church is made up of Gentile believers. That's why he said in Acts 15, 14, he said, I'm coming to take out from among the Gentiles a people for my name's sake. Joseph, when he was rejected of his brethren, took a Gentile bride. You can see it all the way. God is, Paul is saying, this is not something new that has happened. The prophets foretold of it. We have it typically revealed. Amen? So in the time of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, the Lord is taking a Gentile bride. Hallelujah. The Bible says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness hath attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. How'd you get there? How'd I get there? By faith. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe He died for me on a cross. I believe He was buried. I believe He rose again from the dead the third day. I believe that He ascended up. I believe that He filled me with uh, the day of Pentecost took place. And now I can experience all of that in my life. I believe it by faith. Amen. So I did it God's way. The problem is Israel didn't want to do it God's way. They wanted to do it their way. Somebody say praise the Lord. Verse 31. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Their way was this. We're going to take the, the law of God and we're going to work our way to heaven. When the law was never given to redeem them. The law was given to, to a redeemed people. Do you understand? The law, when I serve God, I'm not serving Him because I'm trying to save myself. I am doing that. I am obeying Him because I am redeemed. Now, hang with me. When did God save Israel out of Egypt? Before He gave the law or after He gave the law? Before he gave the law, the blood was applied. After the blood was applied, then he gave his law. You with me? So once the blood's applied and I'm redeemed by the blood and I'm a child of God, then I obey his commandments. That's the proper, that's the biblical way. But they were trying to take the commandments, the law, before redemption by the blood and tried to work their way to heaven. God said that wasn't the goal of the law. The goal of the law was not to redeem. The goal of the law was to lead you to the Redeemer. 
the goal of the law was for you to throw your hands up in despair and say, I can't keep the law. I've come short of the glory of God. Listen to me. I heard a wacko guy, and I'm sorry, forgive me for for saying that but I heard a preacher so called start preaching the other day on the television and he was telling everybody well you you know you ladies that let your hair grow long and you don't cut your hair and you live holy you don't need to do all of that because that has nothing to do with your righteousness you wacko brain don't you understand that we believe in redemption by grace and the new birth and that this all takes place that you're talking about because we are the children of God and you're trying to throw it out the door as nothing you with me Wacko, wacko people. They don't understand. They, they talk. They get up there. They talk big, big things. You know, like they really know what they're talking. They don't know what they're talking about, man. The law was given not to redeem a people, but to a redeemed people. If I live after Christ has saved me, lawless, I will be lost. Hallelujah. Okay, sorry, I got it beside myself. I apologize. I'm just, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Religious confusion to the, to the nth degree. We're living in a time of total ignorance. When people stand up and proclaim things and they think that it's truth. And they lead, mislead and deceive multitudes of people. You know what it is? It's a religious system. Let me explain something to you. A religious system. And people will fit into the religious system. But you get out of the religious system and you start obeying God's word and they, they reject you. They reject you because you're not a part of the system of the world of religion. Come on, church. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. You're going to see it tonight. Come see this video. You're going to see a one world religious system coming together right now. You know what God said in the parable of the wheat and the tares? He said, bind the tares together for the burning. Amen? And then he says, then you're going to gather the wheat into my barn. What is happening? He doesn't say that you're going to bind the wheat and burn them, and then the wheat, bind the tares and burn them, and then the wheat's going to be gathered in. He said, bind the tares for the burning. The wheat's going to be gathered in. You with me? What is happening is this. Right now, today, in the last days, there is a binding together of religious systems. They are coming together. And God is allowing them to bind together and reform a one world church system. Listen to me. And they will be judged because they have rejected the truth of the Word of God. Amen? But the church is going to be gathered into his barn before they're burned. They're just coming together right now. Oh, I wish I could get across this. I love people. I'm like Paul. I want people to be saved. I want them to be saved. And you can shake your head and say, no, no, you don't want people to be saved. Listen to me. I want people to be saved so I'll tell them the truth. Paul wanted them to be saved, but he understood that they must respond and be conquered by God or they would be lost. And he said, I wanted to lay down my life that they could come to the truth. Amen? But, 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 it's happening right now as God has promised in His Word. 
He said, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They tried to do it their way. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. For they stumble at that stumbling stone. As written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and the rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He's the key. Jesus is the key. They tried to do it their way. Now, if we do it God's way, faith respond. Faith and respond. Let's go to... First John. I'm going to show you something. <clears throat> I'm going to prove to you what I just said. So you don't leave here thinking I'm wacko. Amen. This is amazing to me because after I heard that guy preach, somebody, uh, Sister Jean called me on the phone. She asked me about a scripture. I turned to that scripture and I kept reading and God gave me the answer. And she didn't even know why she called. She just, she called because she wanted to help somebody else, was witnessing somebody else. But God gave me an answer that I'd been praying about. Because after I heard what he said, I wanted to see what the Bible says. Okay? Is there anything that we do as the redeemed people of God that we can call righteousness? Because this fellow was saying, nothing you do has anything to do with righteousness. Okay, we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ. We've been given that by the new birth. But I want to show you what the Bible says. We have a righteousness. Amen? Our own. That is accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Look at it. First John. <clears throat> Sister Jean, is that all right if I told him that? I mean, I don't say anything but wrong but anyway let's look at it first john 3 <clears throat> okay he that committed sin is of the devil for the devil sinned from the beginning for this purpose the son of god was manifested look this is why jesus came first john 3 8 for this purpose the son of god was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. So when you're born of God, you stop sinning. And you start obeying his commands. And the Bible said, in this the children of God are manifested. They are revealed. They are demonstrated. They have evidence of their salvation. And the children of the devil, whosoever doth doeth not righteousness is of who? Is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. So if you don't do righteousness, you are not of God. Now we have been made righteous. We have been born. The seed of God dwells in us so that we can live righteous. And John shows you what a true Christian is. It is a person who lives righteously and holy before God following His commands. So when a man says that what we do...